I'm Andrew Wormsley and welcome to episode 149 of Photography Insights. This is the show that goes behind the scenes and interviews people from the world of photography. Today I'm pleased to talk with Sarah Manriquez, a friend of Jason Lazarus and Kat Reichart from the Fairbanks University in Alaska. It's a tale of boudoir, homeless and safety. Boudoir in the sense of her fabulous fine art project photographing a very classic era of the past. Safety in the sense of working as a model and working with others. And homelessness, as you'll soon learn about. I mean, Jason recommended Sarah because of of her work around this um, topic of homeless. It's an amazing project based on helping others and giving them a platform to show what it's like for them. Through her Genesis and Through Our Eyes um, projects, we talk about a lady called Felicia, her new life and where she's come from. It's very thought-provoking, deeply personal to Sarah and something that needs the eye of the masses. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away, so let's just highlight a few of the topics we discussed. Xylene process, film noir, risks, bloom projects, visiting professors, homelessness, point-and-shoot cameras, and the effects of COVID. And of course there'll be links to Sarah's website and her Instagram, so please do check those out. Uh, And as always, I like to mention the friends of the show, which is Steve at Chroma.camera, Pete at staticage.co.uk, and David at filmdev.co.uk. Links are all on the website for anyone needing anything from these wonderful people. Um, Before I move you on, I promised last week I'd share some more of the recent reviews. So this one's a shout out to Kathleen Dreyer, um, who's become um, a lovely friend of mine now. So um, here's what she had to say. Andrew Walmsley is, is a gem of a human being. He takes great care to research the work of his guests, asking engaging questions that allow the person being interviewed to look at themselves and their work even more deeply. Andrew is a sensitive, generally interested and easy to speak with. Even though I was across the world from him, I instantly felt like I was sharing a living room space with a good friend. I think Andrew should be widely supported for his efforts to showcase the work of photographers from around the world. He is lovely. So, all I can say is thanks to Kathleen. It's a wonderful compliment to get a message like that. Um, She was a previous guest um, from Tucson in America, so please do check out some of the amazing work she's doing over there. And of course, I'll follow up next week with another one for you. So, all that's left, let's um, roll the music and introduce our guest, Sarah Manriquez. And welcome to the show, Sarah. How are you? 
I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Not a problem while you obviously come highly recommended by two people we both know. <laughs> so I'm very thankful to Jason and Kat. Um, obviously, I speak with Kat um, quite a lot, so it's um, it's really nice to have a fellow friend there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, she's been an inspiration for me, without a doubt. So, uh, yeah. Me but, too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's amazing that I think sometimes you just meet people and you think, you know, I found a friend there, which yeah, which definitely. is lovely. Um, yeah. And I think being able to do it across this medium is really special for me. I agree. It's so special to meet someone who shares a passion that you share and you can connect and bond over that and learn from it too. Because, mm. you know, it, it's easy enough to do in real life, you know, attending classes or occasional meetup and friends of friends, but when it's truly virtual or whatever digital, it's it's always different, I think, because... You know, you arrange an interview, for instance, and then you've got a couple of minutes, then you start talking. and But I still feel like it becomes natural at some point to everybody. Yeah, definitely. I think kind of the special thing about having like a completely virtual friendship or colleague hmm. is that it really opens your mind to realize that the possibilities are infinite in regards to how many people you can connect with hmm. and... How many people you can learn from all over the world? Yeah, and and obviously having like Jason as an instructor, I mean, you've got a guy there who's getting his work out everywhere, and he's such a fantastic guy, and the the work he does is just amazing. He, Jason Lazarus, was actually my basic digital photography instructor. So okay. he really, for Kat as well, he taught us the basics of photography. Hmm. And I fondly refer to his course as the photography boot camp because he's so diligent in the course, keeping us on track and making sure that we really understand all of these really important basic concepts before we move on to the next step. And I'm very grateful to him for that i feel like i have a really strong foundation and it's led me to success mm. it's funny you would teach digital when half the time he's doing such diverse stuff with dark rooms and microscopes and you know anything and everything i know <laughs> but then you know he is um, a techie as well isn't he? so you know he's got it yeah. background so bless him um but yeah i mean that they both recommended you um, because obviously um, <laughs> of this powerful work you're doing. And we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, what I wanted to first talk about is, is something that's not photography. Um, and it's this thing called Modern Worlds Collide. Yeah. So... I have this project called Modern Worlds Collide, and it's been a really fun project. I traveled to Italy with my grandmother, mm -hmm. and it was the first time I had gone to Europe. And we spent uh, just after Christmas through New Year's in several different places around Italy, and it was just such a beautiful trip. And what I loved most about the trip, other than spending time with my grandmother, was we've done so much art history in our degree as a Bachelor of Fine Arts student. Mm -hmm. And 
this was so neat to be in the place where I had studied all these paintings. I had studied all these sculptures. I had, I felt like I had a relationship with a lot of the work that I was looking at. Hmm. And so we're walking through this museum or going to this place. And I just felt like the sculptures and paintings were walking right out of my textbook. And I was able to, you know, we, my grandmother and I went to the Vatican in Rome at one point and we were looking at all these paintings and it was so fun because in art history class, you have a lot of conversations about different pieces of work. Mm-hmm. And those conversations are, you know, like, why did they do this? You know, what are things that scholars have talked about over time? And, you know, what about this painting is important? Why has it, you know, stood the test of time? And so it was so neat to be able to kind of relive some of those conversations, but with my grandmother mm-hmm. and and talk about all of these different ideas and be able to see them right there. It was so exciting. And one of the things that really struck me about the trip was seeing these pieces of art that are hundreds of years old in this bustling modern city. And I just thought that was so, I loved that juxtaposition. It was so fun and interesting to have this backdrop of you know, culture and time and history everywhere. I mean, when we walked by the Colosseum, it's like in the middle of all these roads. (laughs) And it was so, it was just, to me, that was just so interesting. I loved that there was just this modern, bustling, busy city, and they were just surrounded by this incredible backdrop of history. And so I, at the time, this is several years ago now, I had just gotten the iPhone XX Max mm-hmm. and it was, you know, the best camera and whatever. And I had upgraded big time from like an iPhone 6. And so that was predominantly what I used to shoot on the trip mm-hmm. because I always have such languish when I'm trying to figure out, should I bring my DSLR? <laughs> Is it's heavy. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> and I drag it around for assignments, of course, but um, you know, they're not the whole eighteen hours a day when I'm traveling on a trip. Hmm. You know, and so I was like, you know, do I bring the DSLR? You know, I don't want to not bring it. And so uh I eventually decided to just use the phone and I was really freaked out about it because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm going to Italy. This is the very first time I've ever been there and I'm not even bringing my camera. What am I (laughs) thinking? But uh, the phone did just a beautiful job and, you know, really the best camera is whatever camera you have on you. And so I, when I came home from that, I was just really inspired still. That trip was just so magnificent. And I was in a class with Jason and it was alternative processes course. And he, he, it's really fun in this course. He really gives students the opportunity to explore different processes that they're interested in. So like he might introduce you to three different processes and you don't have to do all three. You pick one that you're most interested in and just kind of go for it. And I loved the idea of taking the photographs that I had 
that were specifically in combination of the city juxtaposed with, you know, the backdrop of history and making them look older. And how I accomplished that was pouring plaster slabs. And I had like all of this saran wrap on top of it to get all these like crinkles in it and um, different like pieces of texture that would give it uh, an older aged surface. Mm. And then I used a process called the xylene transfer and which uh, I do not recommend doing this at home, do it in a really well ventilated (laughs) area or outside. (laughs) Xylene is not something you should be breathing for an extended period of time. Oh, uh, just as a just as a warning. But it was such a great process, and you basically print these photographs and put them on top of the thing that you want to put it on, and then on the back of it, you're using xylene and painting it on the back of it as a layer, and it transfers the image onto whatever you have it on. And so I created this unique surface and then was putting the images on there. And so just by how they were being uh, interpreted on that surface was giving it this really old feeling. I wanted to feel like it was like a fresco, Hmm. like it was something that like just came out of the wall. And what was neat about it and also a challenge was figuring out what is too many wrinkles and what's not because in the project i probably have about 16 different uh pieces of plaster and they're about uh maybe 18 by 20 something so they're they're fairly large and they're fragile and (laughs) and uh so some of the photos aren't as clear or as legible i would say they were less successful for the project Mm. but others of them you just it's just part of the beauty of luck where you know you make all these different surfaces and then you see what happens and some of them are just perfect and they work great and others of them just don't <laughs> but it's you know a trial and error guys sounds a remarkable process then so is that like uh, you're putting the image on a transparency first no actually no. it's an inkjet print so it's okay. it has specifically has to be inkjet. So you can't use, um, you know, like you have to use an inkjet printer. Yeah. And because of the inkjet ink on a regular piece of paper, yeah. And it will transfer that ink onto the surface you're sticking it on. So the side with the photo on it goes onto the surface, and then the xylene goes on the back of the paper. And as it goes through the paper, it actually transfers that ink onto the surface of the whatever you're putting it on. So you put the xylene on onto the paper, and then load the paper in the printer. Oh no! no. Uh, so you you print your page yeah. normally yeah. from the inkjet printer, and once you have your your sheet of paper, yeah. then you uh, put it where you'd like to put it. So with the, yeah. yeah, the ink side facing whatever surface you'd like to adhere it to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Cause that's like a, yeah, it's just like another transfer process, contact print, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. But again, there's, you know, this sounds really common. Anything involving Jason involves lots of chemicals. <laughs> 
a really toxic environment that you probably shouldn't do. Yeah, luckily in an academic environment, you know, we have access to really well-ventilated areas, uh, which is nice. But I definitely did a lot of this project at home. And I live in Alaska and it's the winter. Hmm. And so, you know, you can't really open your windows when it's negative 40 outside. And so that was kind of a hard lesson to learn. Like I, I remember I was at a friend's house at one point and I was visiting and I was doing this project while I was there. And at one point I was just like not feeling so well. And I remember my friend walked over to me and was like, I think we need to take a break outside. (laughs) So that was a really good reminder, you know, well-ventilated areas. They are so critically important when you're working with any kind of chemical uh, and using, you know, the proper, you know, if you need a respirator or some kind of mask or, Hmm. you know, having safety glasses on, wearing gloves, all these things are actually really important and not things to skip. Yeah. Yeah it's a different process in that sense isn't it so it's you know the dark room standard dark room chemicals are toxic in one way but if you limit your time in the dark room you're okay you mm-hmm. don't touch things because there's no reason to um, <laughs> but these processes are that little bit extra out there so you're gonna you're not gonna be able to do them in your standard home dark room that's for sure yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, know, I know when Jason was showing me uh, Modern Sarge, I was in love with it. And Me too. It, I it love the aesthetic. Amazing. Yeah. But I think the reality is it's so impossible. My dark room is an outbuilding with no ventilation. So uh, unless I spend a lot of money, I, I just don't, can't see it happening. Yeah, I hear you. I feel the same way. I feel like I want to attend a workshop so I have someone who can supervise me while I'm doing it. <laughs> and also then I'll likely be in a space that's meant for it. <laughs> I know what you mean. Because surviving doing printing is probably useful, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's something my wife's always uh, worrying about. It's like, oh, it's going in there with chemicals again. And <laughs> she's always said, I don't know how I've never heard hurt myself well um, <laughs> practice makes perfect <laughs> exactly yeah i did get better and better at keeping my hands clean and um mm-hmm. my clothes okay because uh, initially when i used to go in i would literally be spread everywhere it was, oh no yeah yeah it took me a long time i think to get used to working in a dark environment and then being a bit more careful between trays because um, when, when I packed it all and put the lights on, I'd be like, God, there's puddles all over the place. <laughs> now, now yeah. much, much better. Um, thank God. Anyway, we digress. Come on, we need to talk about your work. So um, <laughs> when I saw this, um, my vintage noir, I mean, honestly, th- th- this could have been something from a 1920s catalogue. Um, it's just fabulous. Very, very classy. Thank you so much. Was it a theme you came across and thought you want to try this, or how did it work? Yeah. So this is actually my my final project for my basic digital photography class. Okay. And I have a couple 
I've always loved to photograph the human body mm -hmm. and I really love the aesthetic from the twenties. Oh. I just find it so glamorous and nostalgic in a way. There's something that's like longing and romantic about it. And I have always had these images in my mind and mm -hmm. I never really had the camera or the ability or the opportunity to try and make them. And so I, I tested out, um, like a boudoir photo shoot with this particular model and it went really well. She's just lovely and mm. the camera loves her and she has such a classic look. Mm -hmm. And so for this project, I decided to photograph her and I then made the, the sepia, like a custom sepia filter afterward. Mm -hmm. of like something kind of warmer and browner and like a little bit darker. I didn't want it to be like uh, as yellow and, but yeah, I, I feel like I've always had a big interest in photographing women and especially boudoir. And a big part of that comes from sort of a really bad experience that I had when I was younger. I was really interested in modeling and photography my entire life. Okay. My Nana was an off-Broadway actress and a model in New York City. Wow. And she has always been such an inspiration to me. And in some ways, I've really followed a lot in some of her footsteps. Like I've been in theater ever since I was like seven. And I just have a love for the stage. I have a love for art and the craft. My mom has a Bachelor of Arts. Like there's just some some art sort of running in my blood. And I remember seeing photographs of my Nana when she had modeled and I just loved them. I loved mm. this look that she, and she has that like 1920s look, even, you know, she was a model when she was like in her sixties, seventies. And, but she still had that like wow. classic look. And I just loved that. And when I was uh, very first attending college at the University of New Mexico in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we the news the school newspaper always had like tons of you know job ads and this and that. And I always loved to read those classifieds. And there was this photographer who was in need of models. And I was like, wow, you know, I've always wanted to do that. I think this could be a really cool experience. And he was specifically looking for um, nude models to do work. And I wasn't so sure about that. I was a little nervous about that. Um, but I decided to reach out to him and see what the project was and go from there. And um, he was like, well, first, you know, th this is what I'm working on. This is what I'm doing. And all of it sounded really great. Like it sounded fascinating. He seemed super professional. Uh, and he was like, but first, you know, I need to get like a general sense of like what your body looks like. And, you know, um, why don't you send me a few photos? And then when I have a project that makes sense for you, then I'll, I'll let you know. Hmm. And I'm like, okay. So I like get together with a friend and like try and take some images. And it was, you know, I was like, I don't know, 19 or something. And I send these photos to him and I literally never hear back from him. And 
a few years later, that friend who had helped me take the photos contacted me and he was like, we hadn't talked in a really long time. And he was like, I know this is totally out of the blue. He was like, but I just found your images on like a porn site. And I was just so devastated. And I just felt so violated and I was so hurt. And a big part of my motivation in photographing women and in boudoir photography is this idea of safety. I'm a safe person. I am a safe person to be with. I am super professional. Like I would never make someone uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like I want them to feel comfortable in their own skin and to be able to have a good experience that is about them and their body and not about like some sleazy jerk who's not there for the right reasons and they're interested in like oogling at someone versus um, helping them have an amazing experience in their own skin. And so I really feel like a caretaker for women and I want to be able to be that safe space for people if they have the courage to be able to express themselves in that way or, or want to be able to participate in a photo shoot in that way. And that's so important to me, you know, the way I store my photos, the way the privacy that I have, you know, the relationship that I have with my, with my models. And I, I just wanted to be the person that people could come to and know that there is a safe space that they could have this experience in and not worry what's going to happen later where do those outtakes go? Where to, what is the real motivation behind this person? Hmm. And so that's always been like a driving factor for me of wanting to do like a lot of female form photography work and, you know, the vintage noir, it's all, um, definitely just the, the women's side of my work is definitely coming from a place of, you know, I, I want to be able to be a safe space to mm-hmm. do a lot of this exploring with your body, with ideas, with all kinds of things. And I want people to, to be able to have a safe space to do that in. You know, and I keep saying safe space, safe space, but I think it's, you know, definitely because I felt like I had the opposite. Yeah. I had someone who took advantage of me when I was like 19 and, you know, I, I was naive and mm-hmm. I feel stupid about it. I feel a lot of shame about that, which, you know, sucks because in some ways, you know, I, the internet was way different than it is now. Like I think, you know, as an adult, and this is like, you know, over 10 years ago, um, I would never do that. I'd be like, no, that's, (laughs) that's not how this works. But I also like am a photographer and have like been in the industry now and like understand how things work. And, um, and I'm older (laughs) and wiser, but, uh, you know, I just, I think about that 19 year old version of myself and just think like, I, I want to help that girl be able to to be in a safe place to explore those different things um and i think that's just so important i mean i have to say i'm really sorry that you went through this uh, in your life um it's something as a male photographer i'm really aware of um being of the age i am we are that terrible person that you know, the, the predator types that we get cliched with. And it's something I'm really wary of doing, like boudoir and things 
like that because um, one slight problem and that's your reputation gone. Yeah, for sure. Um, and there's just such a strong history in photography hmm. and in art in general yeah. of like men in power or, you know, who were able to be in a position of privilege yeah, and were able to then take advantage of certain things like, yeah. uh, like d paintings of Degas, for example, and he does all these beautiful ballerina images hmm. and all these beautiful ballerinas and these ballerinas are like so young, you know, they're like eight and nine and he's like in their dressing rooms and stuff. And it's like, Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's so, there's so much like this. And I was never aware of it for for quite a few years and then um it started popping up a little bit and actually someone i'd shot before with had a problem with some of the ladies i'd shot with and they started coming out and saying that i had some problems shall we say with this person so in the end what i decided to do was the only thing i i know of is talk about on here so i've got a bunch of models on um that i've been through it and we did a a uh, special episode on safety for models. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, uh, I thought it was important. So, you know, I was on in the mail there and I was listening and, and then I was able to give my part of view. So um, in certain circumstances, because it, you have to listen to both sides because um, there could be a reason why you do this, they do something. And one of the little examples was um, when you're taking a photo of someone uh, sometimes they don't look right or they're maybe not interested in the photo and it can be fear of both sides um, they fear because they've always got issues with um, how they look despite mm -hmm. them looking mega confident as a model and yeah. then you've got the fear of can you capture them in such amazing quality and are you going to mm -hmm. fail as a photographer first of all yeah yeah I think that's a big I don't want to say risk, but risk that I feel. It's like a big anxiety that I have every mm. time I take on a client or I'm working with a model on a project and doing nude or semi-nude work. Mm. I think one of the things I fear most is that when they see the photos, they'll only see their flaws and not the beauty of the image. And so I feel like it's my responsibility to be able to capture them in a way that they're able to look past that and be like, wow, I love this photo. Mm -hmm. And, and it shows them in this light and in this beauty and in this confidence. And that's something that I, I have a lot of anxiety about when I go on to set and when I'm in taking on a new model or working with a new client, it's like, you know, I, I want them to love these photos. Cause again, it's about the experience i don't want them to like feel weird and kind of uncomfortable and they don't really have a good experience they, they mm. kind of don't like the photos and then it's just kind of like a weird vibe things don't feel that good it feels kind of uncomfortable mm -hmm. you know you were vulnerable with someone and it wasn't a good experience and that is the last thing that i want on set with with my models and and the people who trust me to be able to you know explore that part of photography yeah, yeah i agree um but obviously you know you're doing amazing things um with this sort of work uh, i definitely see more of this 
definitely. Um, I think it's something you definitely can explore. Yeah, thank you. Mm. It's, you know, and it's something that's really near and dear to my heart. And it, I really like exploring this idea of like what it means to be a woman. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And how can it be shown in so many different ways? Yeah. And yeah. like one of the bodies of work that I have that's not related to vintage noir, but they're also nudes. It's called Bloom. And I've taken these black and white portraits of women. And then I wanted to explore Alaska flora and fauna. And so I took all of these different photos of Alaska based image uh, Alaska based flowers and plants and then overlaid them on the body in Photoshop. And I wanted it to look like it was being projected or had been painted on the model's skin. Mm -hmm. And I basically puppet worked it to fit around the body. So it looked like it was like in the natural curves of everything that was there. Mm. And I really loved that project because it sort of was about like, um, this idea of like, uh, all the poses were very specific and this idea of like when a flower is under earth and then it springs up and I wanted them to be in this upward motion and, um, on these women's body with this like springing up kind of power and like rising up from the dirt. But yeah. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's nice to do something unique in that sense. It was fun. I'd like it's a project I'd like to continue, but kind of in a different way. I'm really interested in finding a scientist who is doing work on flora and fauna, and I'd like to make really big prints and have some of the images that I either take for them or that they've taken and overlay them on the body with like text information of, about that particular plant that they're studying. Mm. Wow, that sounds I think that could be kind of a, a fun way to to do that work and, and present it. I, I think that's great. In actual fact, I've I've got something similar in mind. Um, I was thinking of doing a photo, maybe of like a selfie of just the headshot, and then I was going to imprint uh, text everywhere over me of every person I've podcasted with. That's so cool. Hmm. I but love I that. Thinking how to do it, because uh, I'm not a neat writer. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have to be digital, but I hate doing that. Uh, I'd rather it be like the scanner project, so that'd be yeah. more handwriting. But up today, maybe but, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe it could be the handwriting of the people that you did it with. So like maybe they send you like a little JPEG of them writing their own name. So it's like all of these different pieces yeah. of handwriting together. Yeah, that could work as well. That'd be individual then, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I might just try a few myself and see what it looks like first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got it, <laughs> haven't you? Um, as far as scientists concerned, I mean, one of the things um, when I was looking at your work and something Jason and Kat said was, um, you're doing this work, obviously, about um support um what whether you want to call them homeless or, or whatever is it through our eyes yeah so there's several projects that i have under um this sort of umbrella of homelessness mm. 
And it all started with a class project. I was in a class that was with this amazing visiting uh, colleague, and her name is Katie uh, Orlinsky. And she is a National Geographic photographer. She's been all over the place. She's just mm. incredible. Her photos are amazing. She's at the forefront of you know photographing climate change for National Geographic right now. And she's in Alaska and a lot of other northern places all the time. And we got really lucky. And she was a professor for a semester at UAF. And it's kind of part of this program that UAF has called the Sten Chair Program. Mm -hmm. And they bring in these outside journalists, sometimes they're photojournalists, sometimes they're, you know, documentary people, like it just depends on what their background is. And they're all different. And they come usually for a year or a semester. And they teach classes while they're there. And I was in a class of hers. And she wanted us to pick a social cause that was important to us. And the whole semester, we were going to be working on this project as like a long-term project. And for many of us, it was the very first time that we had a long-term project, particularly in regard to like documentary style work. Mm -hmm. And for me, I didn't need to think about it for more than a second. Immediately, it was going to be about homelessness. Mm -hmm. And it, I wanted to explore something different about homelessness, though. And, you know, when we think about the question, like, what is homelessness? Yep. What is it to be homeless? Who, who are we talking about? What does it mean to be that person? I think most people don't have those answers. And they say things that are really stereotypical, like, well, they, you know, don't want a job, or they're drunks, or they're mm -hmm. drug addicts, or they are, you know, have some kind of, um, mental, psychological thing that they're dealing with. They're unable to function in society. And for me, I know from a personal level that those things aren't true. Uh, because once upon a time, I was homeless. And uh, I know from personal experience how all these stereotypes work against every single person who's already trying to overcome their circumstances and how how challenging it is and the kind of pit you're in and sort of this conundrum. And so I wanted to be able to photograph homelessness from a different angle. And I started doing this by doing a project called my home in my hands. Mm -hmm. And what I thought would be a really different way to photograph homelessness is I know that usually a person who's homeless, despite losing everything, you know, usually all their worldly possessions, their place in society, you know, whatever it might be, they usually keep one thing, one thing that's really important to them. Mm. And I wanted to photograph what that thing was and learn about it. And so I worked with the Fairbanks Rescue Mission here in Fairbanks, Alaska, and the clients who were interested in working with me and were in a place where they were ready to tell their story met with me and they brought their one thing that was really important to them. And I made these beautiful portraits. They were just of hands with this one item in them. And it was just about that one thing that they kept and, and the stories behind why and why it was significant and why it was important. And, you know, the stories are just beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, and, and it, I wanted to be able 
part of the goal of the project was to humanize. Like this, this isn't the homeless. This is your neighbor. This is your brother. This is your kid. Like these are people in our community and they're not the homeless and being able to kind of like separate that idea and take a step back and look at them as people and consider them as people and talk about their individual stories. And so through that project, I ended up meeting a woman named Felicia Kavanaugh. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, and yeah, Felicia Kavanaugh is an incredible lady and she at the time was homeless and living in the Fairbanks rescue mission. And she was in a place where she was ready to tell her story. She had something to say. She, you know, from her perspective, she wanted people to know what it was like to be her. Mm -hmm. And so I have spent now several years documenting her life and watched her transition out of homelessness. And it's been the most beautiful journey. And she is the most wonderful person. And so that body of work is called Genesis. And a big part of that uh, revolves around this idea of the new beginning, a new start. Um, and Felicia, you know, she was an alcoholic and she had some issues with drugs and, you know, she had such a complex story, but it kind of all came down to, you know, this idea of losing community. And I think that is an enormous contributing factor to homelessness. And so after documenting Felicia for such a long time, I one, I felt it was really important to give people and their circumstance an opportunity to tell their own story in their own way. And throughout all of this work, I had so many inner, inner conflicts and ideas that I'd think about in regard to ethics, mm -hmm. because, you know, was it my place to tell this story? Yeah. Was it okay, you know, how, how did, and, you know, with Felicia, a lot of my photos in Genesis are really, really subtle because I wasn't looking to shock people. I was mm. looking to show them what things are really like. And a part of my exhibition actually included uh, words, sentences, paragraphs that were as large as the photos. And I received a critique about it at one point where they said, you know, I'm, I'm unsure about these words because they're as large as the photos. You're saying that these words are just as important as the photos. And yeah. I was like, yes, they are. Because not all these images can really stand on their own with you really know, knowing what's going on. And knowing what's going on is the entire point of this project hmm. to understand like what is happening, what is the situation. And this image is just one snapshot of it, but the problem is people don't know what it is. Whereas like I take a picture of an elephant, people know it's an elephant. Yeah. Um, but you know, if I'm taking a picture of this woman signing in and out of something, people don't realize that in a shelter um, or like a program, like the Fairbanks Rescue Mission, you don't just 
go and come as you please. You have to sign in, you have to sign out, you have to tell people where you're going. There's this whole accountability. And those things are hard. And I think anyone who's been outside of the world, that world, they don't know anything about that. They don't know anything about what it's like to live in a shelter or what you have to do or all these different rules, the pressure that you're under just to be able to like try and have some kind of safe place to sleep. And so the work with Felicia was also, I think, really healing for me in a lot of ways because I was able to process a lot of the things I had gone through with Felicia as I went through them with her on her own journey. And so that was a really beautiful part of it too. But this idea, I just felt like part of what was missing from this project was their perspective on their own circumstance. Like here, I had captured Felicia's story through my lens. I made the choice of what those compositions were. I made the choice of what was important to capture. And I just felt like in this overarching project, I had, you know, this one part here, where we have these really intimate portraits of like this item that's so important. And then we follow Felicia's journey, but I was missing their voices, the voices of many. Hmm. And so that's when I met Jason Williamson, who's this amazing human being. He's a pastor in the lower 48, and he started this project called Through Our Eyes. And it is a national project. Um, anyone can participate in it. And I reached out to him and I was really interested in bringing that project up to Fairbanks. And what that project is, is basically disposable cameras are handed out to anyone who wants them and anyone who identifies as homeless or in, in that situation. We don't ask a lot of questions. We're not like, oh, do you qualify under these boxes? Like, <laughs> no, you ask us for a camera. We feel like, you know, you deserve one because you asked and you're interested in the project. And the idea is just to photograph your life. I don't tell them, show me what it means to be homeless. Hmm. The simple fact that that is their circumstance validates any photograph that they take because hmm. that is their experience as someone who is homeless. Yeah. And so we didn't say like, yeah, take pictures of this, take pictures of that. We just said, photograph your life. What does your life look like? And there was something really beautiful about having those images taken in Fairbanks and then putting them into exhibition in Fairbanks for the community to come in and say, that's at the end of my street. Mm -hmm. I go there all the time. What a beautiful image that is. And some of them were beautiful and some of them were heartbreaking. Almost every single one of them was a familiar place that people knew. Mm. And it, began to break down this barrier of us and them. It's not us and them. Yeah. It's a, it's all of us together. It's the community. They are part of the community mm. and we are not so different. We are not so different. And and that was just, you know, a really big goal of this work is to humanize to um and to break down the us versus them barrier and try and look at homelessness from a different angle where we're trying, where we're asking the question of why, why are people homeless? Yeah. Actually, not what are the stereotypes? 
why are people homeless? And so every person that I worked with on the Throw Our Eyes project, um, Felicia, um, anyone who's comfortable, I asked them the question, why? If you could boil it down to one thing, one word, what would it be? And I have dozens and dozens of words. And I then made this big metal house. And I plastered all of these different portraits on this house. And I made these magnets that had all the words on them and covered the front of the faces of all these portraits with the words. And in installation, the idea was as each person purchases a magnet and removes it from the house, they're revealing a face of the person that they're helping. And all of these words all revolved around community, all of them. Hmm. And basically what I felt was a, a discovery in the work was people are homeless when they lose their community, when they are no longer part of the community. Yeah. Whether that's their family support system, whether that's their housing, like it's when they lose their community. And even more important is that we can all do something. We all have a talent that we like. You know, you don't have to contribute by volunteering at the soup kitchen if that's not what you want to do. You don't have to do that. Uh, I'm a photographer. This is what I can do to try and further awareness, to try and bridge the gap between us versus them. And this is what I can do. But maybe you're a gardener and what you love to do is garden. Well, maybe you donate those items to the local uh, to the local soup kitchen. Or maybe you're, you know, a landscaper and you take on a couple of people to help you in your work and you are able to pay them some money and now they have a little bit of income. Or, you know, what, what do you do that you like? What do you do that you like? So it's not such a far reach to be like, you know, I can't save the world. I can't take on all this stuff. You don't have to. What are you already doing in your life that will allow you to make your community a better place? Hmm. And so one of and the last piece of the project is I challenge people to think of that. What do you do? What is it? Write it down. One thing. What is it? What do you already do that you already love that you could use in a way? And it doesn't even have to be something that supports homelessness. What's what's an issue that's important to you? I mean, it can be applied to anything. Just many, just many people making one small thing um, around them to make the world better. It will make a difference. And I really, really, really believe that. And so this this project, you know, is also kind of a call to action. For people to think about what can I do? What can I do that I'm already doing that could make my community better? Mm. That can make the lives of the people around me better. And so the entire overarching work I call finding home. But finding home includes the Through Our Eyes project, mm -hmm. Genesis, and my home in my hands. Okay. It's a uh, big, big task that um, I think it's an admirable thing to talk about. And obviously, 
you having personal experience, you have to be the right person to do it. <laughs> it, it, it it's something we, we talk about as photographers that you know when you come up with a project idea you know, am i allowed to talk about this do i have the right so for instance could i talk about um uh, female rights as a bloke it probably doesn't come across but in a way is that not sexist as well you know there, there's so many things that you can do um but I think ethically and that is, is another thing, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, you know, every part of this project was incredibly thought out. Hmm. So the consent between them when I was working with people was really important. Yeah, I needed them to be comfortable. I needed them to understand what was happening with the images, yep. what I was going to do with them. They were invited to every single everything I did. Felicia has come to every opening of my shows. I ask her, you know, if she's available, she'll speak because it's about her. I am not trying to be her voice. Hmm. I'm trying to elevate her and her story so she has a platform to speak on. And, you know, these were all really intentional things that I thought about because, you know, particularly as we become a more diverse and inclusive world we really do need to think about these things like is it my place to do this hmm. it do i should i be you know telling these stories and i remember i had a really long conversation with the gallery the wandering bear gallery in fairbanks about how exactly the show should be um Who did the show? Like, I didn't feel comfortable saying that through our eyes was mine. Yeah. I curated it, but mm. I didn't take those photos. Like, this was their show. Yeah. And so, you know, we had a really long conversation about, like, does my name go on it? And I was, like, really uncomfortable with my name being on it. Mm. But in the end, we eventually did that just because it, for organizational purposes, it was easier. But, you know, there were conversations at every part of that venture of like, what is okay, what is not, what is doing them justice, you know, making sure that their voices were up front and center, that they were getting to speak for themselves. And, you know, in, in the Through Our Eyes portrait, I took portraits of every single photographer who was interested in having their portrait taken. And they were all there. Um, in a part of the gallery that was near all of their photos. And we also had some blank, blank black images. And they represented all of the homeless children that had participated in the project. Right. And there were more homeless kids that participated in my project than adults. And this yeah. was, yeah, this was an opportunity to be able to talk about something that we almost never talked about. When we think of homelessness, you know, we have all of these really specific stereotypes and imagery that comes into our minds and it's never kids. It's not kids. We don't think about kids as being homeless and they go to school and they do stuff and somehow do their homework and whatever. And they were the majority of the photographers who participated in my project. And, you know, for confidentiality purposes, I wasn't even allowed to know their names. Um, and of course, I wasn't taking their portraits. They're under 18. My youngest photographer was eight. 
Um, and so that was a really important part of the project too, thinking about who is homeless, who are those people? And, you know, it's our children as well. And, and that was a big, a really important part of the project too, to be able to have that opportunity to be able to talk about homeless children. And it just sort of happened on its own. And it was not something I would have been able to talk about unless, you know, the photographers signed up in the way that they did. Hmm. And it just, just so happened that my majority were, were all kids. And so it's powerful to, to think about that and think about our community and what we do for each other and how important it is of how we treat each other. Hmm. And, and so the project is still going. I, uh, was awarded a Rasmussen Individual Artist Award, which is a grant from Rasmussen Foundation, which was such an honor. I'm still like, can't believe that uh, I was selected, one of the people who was selected in Alaska. And I plan on going a little further with this work. And I'd like to do, go to Juneau, Alaska, and, kind of find a new Felicia, someone else in a okay. different part of Alaska in a different place to tell their story. Hmm. Um, you know, someone who's ready to share that. And it's been postponed and postponed because of COVID. Yeah. And so I don't feel comfortable traveling to a place and dealing with some of our most vulnerable members of our community. Yeah. Like, what if I get something on the plane? What if I'm spreading it? Like, I just in good conscience can't do that. Yeah. And so there's been kind of a big halt on the project because I'd love to go to new communities. I want to work with new people. But, you know, even um, everything's kind of come to a halt due to COVID just because it's I just feel it's so unethical to put this project over the well-being of the people that I'm trying to help. You know, yeah. and so Felicia and I have lunch, we catch up, um, we stay in contact. But beyond that, uh, everything's kind of come to a screeching halt. And I've just sort of been in this, you know, stay ready, stay still space <laughs> for a long time, because I'm ready to move forward. And I want to be ready right away when that happens. But, you know, but also at the same time, I need to be patient, because again, every part of this project is incredibly thought out. And it's like, you know, I, what is the purpose of what I'm doing? What, mm. what is it about? And, and that is, you know, to, to raise awareness, but, you know, to lift these people up and give them a platform. And um, if I were potentially someone who's a carrier of COVID and gave that to them, like I would never forgive myself. Yeah. And so it's become a non-option. And yeah. So at the moment, I'm just kind of like doing a lot of like treading water and um, mm. I'm kind of starting to just like play with some other projects. I was talking about my my wonderful dog earlier. I have a, <laughs> a beautiful 13 year old dog who's been an immense support to me. And, you know, I'm thinking about doing like just just a little a little thing. Just, mm. you know, maybe the photos are just for me, but yeah, yeah. You know, it's just something that I want to capture. But yeah, so I I. I'm really excited about the work and it's a project that's really near and dear to my heart. And, you know, it, it hasn't been a project that has gone 
smoothly. You know, I mean, we're dealing with a really politically charged topic. Yeah. And people have their opinions and they feel strongly about them. And, you know, I have had multiple occasions where I've left somewhere in tears because people have come up to me and told me what they think about me or me telling this story or my project and they uh, they don't like it and they let me know (laughs) and so but I yeah I, I do think as hard as it is to hear those things part of what the project is about too is creating a space where we can talk about things like that and so it's very hard for me but the best thing I could do is just listen and hear what they have to say and and hear them and really hear them and and consider it and consider you know is that is that true Hmm. is that true um do i should i look at this a different way and i think that the community feedback is incredibly important even though it could be really challenging to swallow because you know it's a community project it's about loving our community and mm-hmm. um, taking that community feedback has been an important part of the project too. Yeah, I think it's an amazing thing you're doing, Sarah, and it shows something about your character that, you know, you don't necessarily want your name everywhere plastered because <laughs> it's about all the people and I think that's lovely. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it is very important and to be fair, this isn't just Alaska you know it's a problem that's yeah. systematic everywhere isn't yep. it? um i remember traveling over to the states and vegas and seeing the number of people on the streets and um there was an understanding that some of them would be allowed on the buses to travel for free and you know i've heard about the underground community there and you know we've seen it all over um it's it's terrible, you know. Even our little city, you know, there's probably only 120,000 people that live here, um, but it, it's all over the high street, and it's it's awful. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, this certainly is not an issue of Alaska. This is an issue of our time hmm. for everyone globally, and. You know, I focus on Alaska because this is where I'm living right now and it feels most mm. authentic to work with the people of where I am. Sure. But I think something that shocked me when I moved to Alaska is I wasn't born and raised here. Mm. Um, you know, I moved here only about like almost almost 10 years ago now. So it's been a hot minute. But um, I couldn't believe that there were homeless people in a place where it can be negative 40 in the winter time. Yeah. And they do counts here, trying to keep track of people. And they'll do searches if they don't find everybody because every year, several people freeze to death and we don't find them until the snow melts. And it's horrendous. It's awful. And that to me was so overwhelmingly impactful and shocking. Mm. And I just, you know, it drove the message home that homelessness is everywhere. It doesn't matter if it's negative 40. It's everywhere. Hmm. It, it's a terrible thing when we're in civilised countries as well. But Exactly. You know, we can sit here doing this um, and they don't even have a roof 
it's it's unbelievable and uh oh. for sure hmm. but there you go we don't have any control over that unfortunately for some reason <laughs> <laughs> no i think it's well, i think it's a really important project what you're doing though and um you know i wish you all the best for it and be interested to see where it goes as well thank you <laughs> do you want to tell Oh, all our lovely listeners, where we can find you online, please. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm on Facebook and Instagram, and I also have a website, and I sort of have a YouTube channel, but not really. So uh, my website is my name, and that's sarahmandriquez.com. And my Facebook page is Sarah Mandriquez Photography. And my Instagram page is Sarah Mandriquez Photography. Um, and I have a fairly unique name. So as long as you spell it right, then you'll find it. Uh, but that's definitely a challenge. It's like a nine-letter name um, <laughs> and not as common. So that's M-A-N-R-I-Q-U-E-Z. And on Instagram, I have two accounts. One's like a travel account where I just sort of post like travel images. And the other more has to do with like the projects and the work that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And then the Facebook's kind of like a catch-all. I have like, you know, if I'm in the newspaper, if I like got into a show or if I'm working on a project, like I do a lot of works in progress and things like that. So the Facebook kind of includes all of those things in one space. And then my website um, typically has a lot of my more polished work, uh, mm -hmm. things that I've completed or passed the pro uh, projects of the past. No, it makes sense. Yeah, that's cool. And obviously there'll be links into the show notes for anyone who doesn't know how to spell Manriquez. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to help everybody, haven't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we all have funny names, so don't worry. And my final question then is, I obviously do this pay-it-forward scheme. Um, is there anyone you would recommend, um, work I should check out, or even if um, it's not for a podcast, but also maybe interested in interviewing who are you thinking of yeah so my first thought is adam finkelson i think that's how you say his last name mm -hmm. and he is a wonderful artist but he also is the guy who publishes the hand magazine okay and it's this really cool magazine that includes all sorts of really interesting abstract work. And I just, it's really fun and it's like printmaking, it's photography, a lot of it's alternative processes stuff. And he just curates the most beautiful bodies of work for every magazine. And it's always one that I like aspire to be in, but um, am not in. And then I would have to also say he's, you know, on the tip of my tongue since I just took a workshop with him is Eddie Soloway, who's located in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And a big part of what he's working on now are sort of non-traditional landscapes. And he's using like the reflections of puddles and water to be able to capture abstract landscapes and kind of thinking about them as palettes of color versus like, these are mountains. These are trees. This mm -hmm. is the animal running in the forest. And I've never seen landscapes translated that way. And I just love them. Mm -hmm. They're just like these beautiful palettes of color. And I just think it's such an incredibly creative way to approach landscapes. 
Um, you know, I'm not a landscape photographer, but I really respect the people who are out there who like have these incredible images. But I feel like, you know, there are a lot of like landscapes that, you know, are kind of a snore. And it's just like, I don't, um, if it doesn't have that like magic to it, you're kind of like, oh, okay, it's another mountain. Um, and so people who can do landscape really well, I just am always really in awe of those people. And the fact that Eddie does landscape well, but then also has this super creative way of translating and interpreting those landscapes. I just, I think that's awesome. Mm. No, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. So uh, all I have to say is um, thank you so much, Sarah. Um, been great spending time with you yeah thank you so much for having me <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's been great i mean like i say it's great work that you're doing um i'm sure someone will come along or um, meet the criteria and you know, it's nice and safe for you soon um and hopefully it'll spark your creativity again yes fingers crossed <laughs> <laughs> well thanks again um uh, I hope all, everything's okay going forward. Um, fingers crossed for COVID uh, yes. as well. Um, and I'm sure we'll speak soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, not a problem. <laughs> okay, bye. bye. Hey y'all, I just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to that episode. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed um, interviewing. Please don't forget if you want to get involved, I'm starting to put out there on social media uh, the list of guests for that week. You are welcome to submit any questions you want to ask and hopefully I'll read them out for you. Whether you want to do that through Instagram um, direct message you can just click if you click on the direct message bit uh, there's a button there and you can record and send that right across uh, but there's many apps you can do or email me or send me a dm on facebook instagram whatever that's cool with me for those of you who want to support the show please don't forget uh, itunes reviews are always appreciated and obviously i will read them out uh, the following week for you and I tend to use them on social media so that's all very much appreciated if you'd like to help contribute towards the show then don't forget there's my coffee page where you can submit anything from one dollar a pound or upwards and I'll keep a note on there what I'm trying to achieve um, as the months and years go by for those who want to keep coming back to the show don't forget you can just subscribe in your friendly podcast app of choice and there's a weekly newsletter on my website flogger.co.uk so it's p-h-l-o-g-g-e-r and you'll get an automated email from me and that tells you each week uh, what's gone up on the website so it's the podcasts and any articles i've wrote so yeah thank you so much And I'll see you again soon. Bye.